He's an expert in how Jeff Bezos leads. Amazon just got approval from the FCC. Their goal to send up into space 3,200 satellites. Wait, what? 3,200 satellites? Why? Our guest on today's show will explain to him it's just the latest example of a culture where the leaders have convinced employees to take risks and to try new things. And I got thinking how important that is for all of us to create that kind of culture in this age of disruption. Steve Anderson is our guest. He's the author of The Bezos Letters, 14 Principles to Grow Your Business Like Amazon. This is the class your business school didn't offer. It's the training your employer still hasn't provided. How do leaders like us get people to do what we need them to do so we can grow our results and live the life we desire? That's the question, right? This podcast contains the answers. I am Russ Hill, and welcome to Culture Hacks. So any of you who've listened to this podcast for more than a minute know that I, uh, I, the one company I talk about the most is Amazon because of so Amazon's not perfect, right? No company is perfect, but what Jeff Bezos and the S team and the leadership team at Amazon have done over the last few decades is it's remarkable. And so I'm excited to tap into the expertise of our guest today. Steve Anderson, welcome to the show. Russ, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So, most uh, letters to shareholders from the CEO, <laughs> I have to start with this. I'm sorry. I know where you're going with this. Yeah, so. I, I, you, you've heard this, I'm sure. Most letters from CEOs to shareholders are boring. You, have, you, don't, you want to run from those things. You decided to write a book about the letters from a CEO to his, his shareholders. Why? Uh, Bezos is not just any CEO, I think, first. Uh, second is uh, writing and, and really what I call story or narrative is such a key part of Bezos and Amazon and kind of how it's grown and all of that. Uh, and literally, I was researching the impact technology is having on businesses and uh, came up with this idea that the biggest risk they face is actually not taking enough risk. And so came across Amazon, started reading a couple of the letters, uh, literally sat down and read all the letters at the time there were 20 um, in order, right, kind of as a full narrative and just was so impressed with how much knowledge, wisdom, I, I would call it secret sauce that mm. Bezos talked about in his letters of how he has grown Amazon, uh, that I became really intrigued with that. And the uh, end result, as you say, is a, a book that was uh, published on the, on the letters. So what happened, Steve, that caused you to actually even start reading those letters and go, you know what, I need, I, I need to steer my curiosity in this area toward Amazon. Um, I was researching companies that had made transitions well and ones that hadn't. And, you know, we know some of the names of those that didn't, Kodak and BlackBerry and Blockbuster and mm -hmm. right, some of those. And we also know some names of companies that are known for being able to uh, continue to experiment and invent. And certainly Amazon is in that category. Uh, so that's that's what led me to Amazon. And then again, I I would say I stumbled across the letters as part of my reading and research and just became really intrigued with the information that was in there. When was that? 
it was probably a three-year process of like five years ago, ten years ago, two no, years ago. No, it was probably about four years ago. Okay, so yeah. you, you 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 dig up these letters and you start reading them and you go, wow. That's pretty much what I did. And what's kind of interesting is my first, uh, I guess, iteration was a uh, white paper I created with just a one-page synopsis or summary of each of the letters that, that he had written, kind of key points, uh, key quotes, you know, key takeaways that I saw in each of those letters. And fortunately, my wife, who is my co-author, uh, is in the book publishing business. And mm. I showed it to her and she said, oh no, this is a book. This is mm. not a white paper. And mm. so that's sort of the, the start of the writing the book process, uh, you know, started from just me putting some thoughts down on what I thought was important. Okay. Let's, let's start diving into these, um, the, these letters and what you've learned. Cause I think there's so much wisdom that leaders of teams in any organization um, can learn from. I mean, if there's ever been a time where we need to adapt and change and adjust, I mean, hello, 2020, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. the, the rate of change is remarkable. You talk a lot about the 97 letter. Yeah. The very first letter. So they, um, they had their IPO in, um, uh, March of 1997. So the 97 letter came out in April of 1998. <clears throat> And really, he laid out in that letter his plan for growing Amazon. I mean, and I think what's really intriguing is that every letter since, he always attaches the 97 letter. Mm -hmm. So, and again, I, I came up with four cycles and 14 principles, but that is just an example of long-term thinking. You know, that original 1997 letter, he still considers an important piece of his vision for Amazon. I want to quote from, the, I, I might not get it perfect, but you, you'll, you'll be able to correct me. But one of the things that you share, I've heard you share this before, is the, these, these maybe three sentences from that 97 letter. At least I think it's a 97 letter. Steve, correct me if I'm wrong. It's not easy to work here. You can work <laughs> long, hard, or smart, but you can't choose two of the three. Working at Amazon is something you can tell your grandparents about. That stood yeah. out to you, didn't it? Yeah, it did. And um, it, that was in the 97 letter. And again, one of Bezos' characteristics is this ability to think really long term. And the, the point I make with that, and, and it, it was, it, we are building something that we will be able to tell our grandchildren about. That's the quote. Mm -hmm. And think about that. Literally, they're four years old now. They uh, actually first started the website, came live in 1995. And so he's not even profitable, are they at this point, Steve? Oh, no, they're, they, have, they weren't profitable probably for the first 10 years or more. Okay, so they're nothing. Uh, I mean, they're hardly anything. Correct. He's saying this is something you're going to tell your grandparents about. Correct. Um, and, and vision, long-term thinking, uh, having an ability to look into the future, um, he was absolutely convinced the internet was uh, unlimited opportunity. In fact, he still says that uh, today, that it's uh, his phrase, it's, it's still day one for yeah. Amazon, for the internet, for you know, what we're doing. So I remember, you know, in those early years, it wasn't that early, but but I, I don't even know how many years ago. I remember I, I distinctly remember sitting at my desk and making a decision to 
to kind of like a little slush fund, a little, some fun hobby money. I'm going to invest a little bit of money in some stocks today. I mean, it literally so small, it's not even going to make much of a blip. But I remember looking at Amazon and thinking their stock's doing nothing. <laughs> and I, and I remember researching them a little bit and they were getting pounded by, you know, the investment community and the, and the, the financial reporters, the financial press <clears throat> saying, cause Steve Jobs was like, yeah, we're not turning a profit and we won't and leave me alone. Right. How was he able to do that, Steve? Um, I, I think a couple things. Um, early on, he had had some you know money coming in, and he raised first from his parents, right? The kind of the initial seed money, uh, and then in that first year, raised about a million dollars from a number of different people. Um, and he was convinced that it was a long-term play. And so he was not, and he lays this out in that 97 letters, we will make decisions for the long-term, not short-term quarterly profits, period. And he was willing to go against you know, conventional wisdom uh, in order to pull that off. And all of the, you know, the reason there wasn't profits is everything was being plowed back into developing this amazing logistics platform that now is paying off handsomely, right? Uh, for Amazon and its uh, share, share owners. So, and, and I think a lot of times we don't, um, we don't appreciate the battles he probably had to wage daily to keep those investors <clears throat> at, you know, arm's length and to keep right. convincing it. It sounds probably easy now, but any CEO or any senior executive of an organization that's taken on debt or, or outside funding knows those pressures. So that, that's pretty remarkable. Um, let, let's dive a little bit into the 14 leadership principles, because that's your, your, your book d d digs into those. Do you view that as really one of Amazon's major um, competitive advantages? Yeah, I do. And let me be clear. So I talk about 14 growth principles right. um, that I see that, that Amazon used to grow. Mm -hmm. Amazon also has 14 leadership principles, and there are some overlaps between growth and, and, and leadership principles. Like customer obsession, right? Customer obsession, no question, right? It is a growth principle, but it's also a leadership principle. And perhaps one of the, the main ones. Um, and I, I think the as I think about it, the cycles I mentioned are test, build, accelerate, and scale. And one of the questions I had in terms of scale is how in the world does a company grow to now almost a million employees and retain cu the culture? You know, and he talks a lot about culture in the letters. He says culture. You know, if you're if you're trying to find your culture, you know, you're discovering it. You're not making it. Culture is created over time, and you know, all of those kinds of things. But I think there's some very definite things, and I, the leadership principles are absolutely one of those keys. And in talking with former employees uh, directly or reading about what they say. Those leadership principles aren't just some plaque somewhere, but they are used every single day to guide decision making and and what happens within the organization. So apply that to leaders of other organizations. And I know there's you know, we could take hours on this. There's so much to it. But just at a high level. So talking about the culture of Amazon that Jeff and his direct reports and the team he started to build years ago, what they've been able to do with culture. What are some takeaways 
that that I as a leader can implement, whether I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur, or I'm a mid-level manager leading a team of 10, or I'm the CEO of a major corporation? Well, I think the first thing to think about is, you know, it, am I being intentional about the culture I either want or already have created within the company? And if not, what can you do to, to, to be intentional? So 14 leadership principles are one of those things that are talked about every day, but there are several other things that Bezos has used, I think, to communicate. And that, again, is where writing comes in in to play and is such an important component at Amazon. So for example, the letters themselves all, you know, started out originally dear shareholder, and then he shifted to dear share owner. And again, one of the principles is if you want employees to act like owners, they actually have to be owners. So they have a very generous uh, stock compensation and stock option plan, et cetera. And in fact, their salaries, while good, are not as high as other places. So they, they compensate based on the performance you make uh, to help the company as a whole to move forward. One of the other thing is just symbols. Um, one of the early symbols what is what's called a door desk. Mm-hmm. So early on, Bezos was on his hands and knees putting books into packages and commented to, to the person next to him who was helping and saying, you know, we've got to get knee pads because my knees are killing me on the floor. And the other guy said, no, we've got to get packing tables. And he said, that's brilliant. And he went to Home Depot and realized that they could buy a, a, an old door, some four by fours and brackets cheaper than they could buy tables and desks and, you know, some of those kinds of things. And that's still a symbol that is used in Amazon to remind people that if it doesn't benefit the customer, we don't want to spend money on it. Yeah. And a, a big fancy desk doesn't benefit the customer. And things like the building that, you know, Jeff has worked out of being still called day one, right? Yep, things like that. Absolutely. Lot, yep. Lots of symbolism in their, in their culture. I, I, I want to ask you about customer obsession for a moment, that, that <clears throat> leadership principle and what you, you see as a growth principle too. A lot of companies talk about customer service, right, Steve? Every company. Yes. Um, it's, how is it different uh, at, at Amazon? I think the word choice is absolutely intentional. There is a different weight behind obsession than there is customer service, customer experience, customer focus, customer journey. Obsession is just different, right? And and he talks about over and over again that we start from the customer and work backwards. And so we invent on behalf of the customer. And in many cases, we invent things the customer doesn't even know they want. You know, and again, easy example is Prime. Customers didn't know they wanted free shipping, but they certainly have embraced it. And certainly Amazon has too. And and I would say literally, finally, other big retailers like Walmart and Target and, you know, are trying to come up with their own version of Amazon Prime. But that is thinking about what can we invent on behalf of the customer, which I do think is a different mindset and, and requires you to operate differently when you start from that position. It, it leads to, I mean, I, I, I see it as that shift 
if you truly have, if you start with the customer and if you're customer obsessed, it's going to cause you to ask the right questions that lead to innovation and right. risk, right? I mean, yes. it solves so much of that. Talk, talk for a minute about ROR. Return on risk. Wow. Uh, so ROI, you know, every every leadership, every business talks about, right? What's my return on investment? If I'm going to spend X amount of dollars in a marketing campaign, how many sales am I going to make? What we don't talk about, and I think this is the, the I guess, interesting twist I bring because of my insurance and risk management background is Bezos uses risk strategically and he knows that you've got to risk in order to grow. So for, for Bezos, it's experimentation is key. And what he says is, if you know you're going to, that experiment's going to work, it's actually not an experiment. You've got to be able to fail. And the problem with large organizations is they have lost the ability, as he says, to suffer the consequences of failure long enough to be able to actually invent something new. Uh, and, and, and to me, that's that key. What, what risk can we take? And again, I've got to say, it, it's not stupid risk. It's not just throwing sure. stuff against the wall. Amazon is very intentional about reducing risk whenever they can, but they aren't afraid of trying something new and having it fail. Uh, in fact, think about the times over the last number of years that you've heard Amazon, you know, uh, stop selling a product or remove it from the marketplace or, you know, whatever they're testing and experimenting because it didn't work or they're going to start over again with something new that they've learned in that experiment. And so that's key. And this whole idea, you know, again, being an insurance guy, this whole idea of reducing risk, not increasing risk is very different. Is Amazon as um, long-term thinking now as they were in 97? Yeah, I think so. And I will say, I think the uh, pandemic has shifted that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Bezos, was spending most of his time three to five years out. Um, I, I think he has, uh, because they, you know, Amazon, I think, got caught like all of us did uh, with delivery taking longer, right? All of those mm-hmm. those issues. And so I think he was, he did come back into more of the day-to-day uh, environment just to help get those uh, problems solved. Uh, but I think he'll, we, he will go back. Um, let me give you an example of long-term thinking today. Um, uh, Amazon just got an approval from the FCC for their uh, project Kuiper, which is their, um, their goal to send up into space 3,200 satellites to provide broadband, low-latency uh, internet access anywhere in the world, and they've committed $10 billion uh, to do that. Well, that's probably going to take multiple years um, to, to see come to fruition. So, but they're willing to invest long-term on what they consider to be big bets. Well, I saw you post on LinkedIn the other day, Steve, about Amazon Care. I don't yes. think that's something most of us have heard about. I mean, that, that might be another example too, right? Yeah, and no, I think there's no question. Amazon is uh, Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, and um, J.P. Morgan, I believe, um, 
all are in a partnership to look at healthcare and see what they can do to help improve that. And that Amazon Care is a, um, a, a clinic basically for their employees to, to get, you know, less expensive and, and quicker access to healthcare uh, for their employees. So the more that I, you know, you're, you're way more of an expert on Amazon than I am. You, you've spent more time analyzing it, speaking about it, studying it. But the, even with the limited amount of time that I, I've been exposed to Amazon and uh, from the outside and the inside, I've just been, I've, every time I've walked away thinking, wow, Bezos is brilliant. Like we think of Steve Jobs as brilliant, and he was, and Jeff Bezos is brilliant. And I don't know that people, a lot of people who are just viewing it pedestrian from, from the outside. I don't know if they really, uh, they, they really appreciate that. Here's my question. So when you think that about Jeff Bezos and you look at, and we don't, I don't want to spend much time on this, but I have to ask it. But then you look at his personal life over the last year. Yep. Is it easy to be disappointed or do you not take that point of view? Um, so I kind of go back to what you said earlier when we started. Um, uh, you may hate Amazon or love Amazon, or Bezos, either way. Uh, I'm not judge and jury for him. I think he is brilliant and human. And so uh, the, um, uh, really the divorce, right? What all that, uh, what year ago, January, uh, this last January was right when we were finishing the manuscript. And we, we really talked a lot about, okay, how do we, address this um, because up to that point, family man, um, you know, uh, married to McKinsey for whatever number of years at that particular right. point, he, uh, you know, he stayed home in the morning to be with his kids. Yeah. I mean, I, get into office of that, like nine or 10 in the morning. Yeah. Uh, and that his route, his morning routine was not to be in early and he didn't, he doesn't to my knowledge to this day, doesn't take meetings before 1030 in the morning. Um, and, and he, he, he has said, my most important role as CEO of this company is to make a, a three important decisions a day. Mm -hmm. That's it. Right. And so, again, another interesting perspective. But, you know, what he does, how he thinks his uh, I could just point of example after example, his uh, six page narrative uh in 2004, Bezos banned PowerPoint presentations at Amazon. Mm -hmm. And uh, they actually, again, back to writing and narrative and story, the meetings where they need to make a big decision always start with a written document. It's called a six-page narrative, maximum of six pages going through kind of plus minus future press release, again, starting from the customer, right? Uh, Two pizza teams, no team should be larger than what two large pizzas can feed them. I mean, just, you kind of see example after example after example of him thinking differently yeah. um, than I, what you know, normally expect. Yeah, there there are a lot of unique aspects to, to the Amazon culture that have proved to be uh, a competitive advantage. The only reason I bring up, by the way, Basil's personal life, I could care less about divorce or all the TMZ stuff. It's just as as a, as an observer and a student of his, I think, dang it, I hope he's not getting distracted. I hope that he's not. I hope his best days aren't behind him from a lead, leadership and strategic standpoint. That's that's a, a debate probably for another another show and another yeah. time. 
But well, um, I agree. There, there, Steve, there are there are a good number of books about Amazon, and I, you know, I kind of joked to tease you at the beginning about you reading the letters and then publishing. Obviously, your book's so much more than just publishing the letters. It, by the way, Steve's <clears throat> book is called The Bezos Letters, and uh, it's worth your time. It's one of the best books I think I've. I found on Amazon. And the, the other thing that I'd encourage everyone who's listening, not only read the book, but, but Steve, I'd encourage them to stay active following what you're learning. Cause this is an, the, the book is capturing at that moment, what you had observed, but as you just shared here, there's some ongoing learning. So how do we do that? If someone's interested in, in, in following you or having you speak to their group or whatever that might look like, how do they find you? Yeah, probably the best place to go is uh, the book website, which is thebezosletters.com. And uh, all kinds of information there uh, in terms of kind of what I'm doing, uh, et cetera. One of my latest projects was to, uh, I actually watched the entire congressional testimony um, and really look again at what Bezos and how he uh, put information together. And I, I want to read this one quote of his. Uh, it's still day one for this country, and even in the face of today's humbling challenges, I have never been more optimistic about our future. Uh, and, and I think that's a, a good message, this idea that, you know what, we are still in day one, and yeah, we've got problems, but let's uh, work on them and address them and, and move forward. No matter what you think about, to your point, no matter what you think about Jeff Bezos or what you think about Amazon, the good, bad, and the ugly it's pretty, it, 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 you can't really debate what Amazon has accomplished. It is, it is remarkable. Steve, so many other questions I wish we had time for. Thank you so much for sharing your insight, your wisdom, what you've learned um, in this show. Appreciate it. My pleasure, Russ. It's great to be with you. Hey, everyone, a couple of quick things. First, you can watch the interview you just listened to. Yeah, the link to watch it on YouTube is in the show notes in whatever podcast app you're listening to right now. You might want to forward that link to friends or colleagues that would find it useful as well. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, just tap on that subscribe button. You'll get two new great episodes each week. And finally, I want to invite you to our private Facebook group. I spend time there in between the episodes. It's for leaders like us. You can access it by going to theculturehacks.com.